Peace. This is the Ask Your Old Head Podcast with Justice Raji. I am here with my brother, the progenitor of the pedigree, my main man, I'm Majestic. Peace, peace, peace. So I just want to say, first and foremost, it's an honor to be back on the podcast. We started out early with this thing when uh, we was in Venice. Mm. Uh, we was on the beach, and uh, it's an honor to be back on, just acknowledging all the people you've interviewed and the great things you're doing and the way you're projecting the issues and values and principles that people really need at this time. And I would be remiss if I didn't say I'm with none other than my son, Messiah, I culture beneficent. You want to you say peace? You want to say peace real fast? Peace, people. This is... The internet. We are on live on the internet. Uh, I am Masai. I coach your pronunciation Allah, which means great human leader. And we are going to hear from Uncle Justice, Uncle Justice, and my father. I'm majestic, and they're both great speakers. They've both speaked in speech before, and this shall go well. So let on the internet. Let's see. Let's see what we can rank up and unlock. Peace. Peace to the God. So, yeah, so, yeah. you know what I mean? He, you know, my son had his first time on the internet, so he was trying to do that. So, you know, it's an honor, so I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, I think I think we actually covered the uh, the question I always forget but didn't remember in terms of who you want to give a shout-out to. I'm going to give a shout-out to my nephew, you know what I'm saying, representing the family. Be You know, it's a beautiful weekend here. So. And so, just real quick, also, let me give a shout-out to Azani, our queen, uh, junior year at American, doing amazing work, uh, Dean's List again, mm-hmm. and then also to Armadina, doing amazing stuff. Uh, she's actually heading a, an event and a show in Pittsburgh right now, so I want to give a shout-out. All right, peace, peace. So, we're going um, to get right into it, so. So can you give me just a standard or a principle that you try to hold yourself to as you move through the world, my majestic? It's easy to say integrity, but integrity is like a really intangible idea, right? Integrity, it means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. So integrity is something that obviously is a principle I advocate, but more is, is actually loyalty. And so in my particular space, there are varying degrees of loyalty that you have to possess, right? There's loyalty to family. There's loyalty to principle. There's loyalty to, you know, if you're in an administration, mm-hmm. there's loyalty to that. And, no, and sometimes those all look different, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes they're not all, there's binds, and, and and limitations to them, but I would say a, a value right now that I'm upholding and really trying to think about is that, and also, it's, leadership is not a value per se, but, and maybe we'll go into this a little later, it's also about how are you really being thoughtful around engaging other people around being your best and their best so that the, the sum is greater than the whole of the parts. Mm. That's peace. Do you think, uh, what do you think is, is, what do you think is that people get wrong about integrity? Because it, it, it's, a, it can be a moving target. Mm-hmm. You know, integrity is like one of those things that, you know, 
it's like the judge, it's like the Supreme Court justice once said about pornography. Like, you, you can't tell this, but everybody knows it. Mm-hmm. And so integrity of different people is different things. Sometimes their idea of integrity is misplaced uh, elitism. Mm. Mm. Their idea of what it means for them, for them to have integrity is like, well, is it really integrity or is it you just thinking that you're better than people so that you present certain stuff? Mm. And that's not, is it really integrity? Dang. And is it integrity when people ask you to go against your values or is integrity when you advocate your values and you stand on your values and you don't change them? So I just find that sometimes we get that that idea. People use that as kind of like a sword over other people's heads, mm-hmm. at the sword of integrity. Right. So it's not that they use it actually to, to, to activate or exist it being um, a person that has integrity as much as as a, a bludgeon. Uh, yeah, bludgeon over other people's actions based on people coming from way different perspectives, right? Mm. Cult- there's different cultural perspectives of integrity. Mm. There's different social perspectives. There's different age-appropriate perspectives of integrity. Yeah. What a 25-year-old thinks is integrity is way different than what a 65-year-old thinks is integrity right now. Mm. All right. You know, is there anything that you would want to share that you think helps one with developing a more healthy concept around integrity or even or something um, you wouldn't want to point to knowledge and awareness you know because I think the knowledge of what you're dealing with and the awareness of the world you're in it really helps with your integrity mm. because and, and then we say knowledge awareness and and I would say the third is understanding mm-hmm. like the one the knowledge of, of, of what you're dealing with has to be there the awareness of the situation and then the understanding finally of like how do I need to deal with it and then that defines what you have to, how you have to express your integrity in that situation mm-hmm. and again to your point it's more of an affirmation than a bludgeon mm-hmm. to me integrity is still leading by example yeah. now sometimes it ends up like a bludgeon and a whistleblower suit or whatever have you but even sometimes with that you got to be careful because people will use this idea of a whistleblower. And again, if it's a legal activity or untoward activity, you should tell at all times. Yes, sir. <laughs> I want that on the record. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> However, the other thing, once again, because it's a moving target and the times that we're in, you also got to make sure that people are engaging in using that as a way to make us all better. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it, I'm very sensitive these days to casting aspersions of people and especially accusing them of not having integrity because I feel it's something we can be very comfortable just going, oh, he has no integrity, right? Without knowing the context and circumstances around which one made a decision. Because they made a made a decision in, in honor of other rules that we're not aware of. Right. And and it happens, I mean, all the time in, in my particular field, I mean, people will talk about other people's integrity. So people will say, well, if you're in the administration or if you're in government, you don't have integrity. Mm. And it's the craziest thing in the world. Like, it's the idea that anyone that chose to do service in that way. So, for example, if someone chose to do service in the context of nonprofits, everyone says that they are an angel. They're a saint. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If someone chooses to actually be in you know, like according to a city charter, like our city charter is about the health, safety, and welfare of people in Pittsburgh. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So if you aspire to do that through the government, people say they will cast aspersions about your integrity mm-hmm. by the very nature of working in government, where if you work in nonprofits, a.k.a. you work based on how money has been washed through the, our tax system, mm-hmm. you actually have a higher degree of integrity. Right, right. Well, I always thought that that to be dealt with a an assumption about the intentions and also our, you know, and you know I don't enjoy the idea when people be like, well, the government, because I'm like, which government, which agency, which part of the government, which specific person are you saying did this, right, because we create this boogeyman, right, and we, and, and we don't appreciate the reality that there's, le- that there's a whole lot going on here and also that we got to do something. We have to have some entity by which we can try to funnel the energy of, of of the masses into some outcomes. Again, and in, in, in about the health, safety, and welfare. Now, if someone has a, a conversation or debating is, is a particular person or group of people acting in the health, safety, and welfare for the citizens, that's a way different conversation. Yeah. Right? That's a, because that brings to bear your ideas about the role of government, which then brings to bear your idea about America. <laughs> about democracy, about yeah. republics, yeah. about power. That's <laughs> yeah. a whole different conversation if you wanted to have a dialogue and say, well, are you acting in that interest? Versus, to your point, the government. Mm-hmm. And again, we're in a time where right to, from the right and the left, no one has quote-unquote faith in government. Mm-hmm. But it really just reflects a lack of civic engagement, civic entrepreneurship, that mm-hmm. you have faith in government because you don't have faith in the in the realm of how people engage with each other, mm. so um, that's heavy. So, do you think one more question on this uh, thread? Then we'll move on. Do you feel there is a is there a roadmap where one could maybe start develop a different? If one doesn't believe that you know integrity is something that should exist as a part of, of either you know civic action and government. Um, you know, any government entity, is there a channel by which you would suggest one maybe get some exposure to maybe think differently? Build power. Because the reality of it is the governments that exist exist because one more person voted for a person than the other people. Mm. All right. Now, don't get me wrong, then the political calculus and gets way more complicated from there. Yeah, no but that is actually, in America, except for presidential elections, the bottom line. Yes, sir. One more person voted for someone than the other person. All right. So the key is, if you really, whatever your vantage point on integrity, how do you build power to shift and create the integrity in people that you may not think you see? Hmm. But again, that's an onus, right? That's a civic responsibility. Yeah. To not only vote and do your civic duty, but to build power around your ideas and find other people who think alike you and share ideas, and then and then they influence systems that then in turn bring about your desi- bring about what you would like to see. Acknowledging that what you would like to see can't always happen in government in the manner that you think. So again, the integrity. You have to look at the parameters around your perspective of someone else's integrity. Hmm. All right. Peace. So relationships, broadly defined, um, is there something that you would want to share around what you've learned um, to do differently 
that maybe you, you didn't do as well as a younger man. So you know what? That's a uh, that's a, that's the thing. So so my father told me and showed me that relationships are everything growing up. But I'll say one of the things that black men have to really deal with is the the context of male-to-male relationships, mm-hmm. male-to-female relationships that are not in a romantic sense, in a platonic sense, mm-hmm. and then also cross-racial relationships as it pertains to the idea of how you think about yourself and the idea of manhood from the lens of being a black man in America this day and time. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch on to the way to really understand that until 30, 32. Mm-hmm. If a child, if a young man can learn it at 15 or 16, he can change his life and other people's lives. Right. So relationships was always, again, they're always done when you in the hood, is always done through the context of who can harm me or who's my crew. Mm-hmm. So who do I like or who don't I like? Right. Right? Mm-hmm. It's either this whole, right, on or off switch. Yeah. Not relationships for a variety of reasons. It's either I mess with him or I don't mess with him. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Dysfunctional. So you, you learn that. Mm-hmm. Then later... Depending on what school you go to, what situations, it's hard for people to have male-female relationships that are quality, that are platonic. Mm-hmm. Because colleges, high schools, and all that, and even sometimes the hood, it frames everything like you can't have quality relationships with women if you don't like them. Mm. Which is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's incredibly damaging. Incredibly damaging to the psyche, even of the idea that the only person you can talk to is the person that you want to be in a relationship with or do something with. And we carry that for years. Mm. You don't build quality relations with people that you don't like. Even if they're skilled, even if they're intelligent, even if they are on fire. Right, you go. And and then as a cross, then it goes deeper. If that person is in a relationship, the male that she's in a relationship may not want you to be friends with her because he's caught up in the idea that you cannot be platonic with someone and be really close. Mm-hmm. You can't develop lasting and trusting you bonds. You can't trusting bonds beyond like sex and romanticism. Yeah. Which is absolutely, da- to your point, is damaging to building networks. My father told me in rather crude terms something way different, but he actually told me this from a child, that you have to develop, he showed me, you have to develop quality and great and lasting and trusting relationships with women who you were not romantically involved in. Mm. But we just learned that way too late. So I would say that's one of the biggest lessons about relationships is you have to be able to have quality, trusting Relations with other men, without it being anything that kind of that that the macho thing, mm-hmm. the cool pose, as they say. Yeah, you have to be have that quality relationships with trusting and lasting relationships 
with women who you were not romantically involved with, and even trusting in trusting relationships with maybe their mate if that person has not evolved to the place of understanding this. Mm-hmm. And you have to have trusting and lasting relationships with people outside of your race and outside of your background because that's when opportunities can emerge. Is there any, um, well, I'll just say, you know, you know me, you know, and I've been a long advocate of being one of the most um, important things I learned young was at some point you got to decide every woman is not for you. Even if she's really cool. Even if she's like, man, she's amazing. She's really cool. She's she's not for you. And just turn it off, B. Like, yo, turn it off. It doesn't But there's a thing, goes back to this thing I was saying about black males and growing up. We're never taught to turn it off. There's never a dialogue about turning it off. From the age that you can remember your framings of I like her, I don't like her. Mm-hmm. She might can be this, not that's a young lady who I'm going to have a lasting, trusting, personal relationship with. Mm. Who tells an eight-year-old that? Yeah. Right? Right. Who tells a 12-year-old that? We don't even have that dialogue. So, yes, it's it's the thing of every woman is not for you and every and then going forward, everyone is not to be seen as someone that could be for mm-hmm. you because that spurs behavior. Right? That frames behavior that that person exists to fulfill something for you. Right, right. They have no agency in their own existence. Their, their only agency is could we do something? Mm. Oh, we can't? Okay, well, let me go find someone that I could do something with mm. because that's what women exist around. Mm. Yeah. That's why. That's not a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I. And so, with even with a young child, with a young male, a young man, you learn to see, like, Wait, the way we're framing these relationships are crazy. Mm. And it even goes to, well, me and this girl fight, so I don't like her. But me and the other girl don't fight, so I do like her. Right. <laughs> this mannequin yeah, yep, yeah. guess or no thing. Yeah, yeah. Man, I think, um, I think that the... You know, not not you know, scanning the, the the current you know kind of social media space and the, the conversation. Sometimes, you know, we don't always acknowledge sort of the the way we reinforce an unhealthy perspective. You know what I mean, and like the uh, the various forms of like, um, you know, we we got the Me Too reality as it is happening right now. Where, you know, a lot of women are sharing their experiences. You know I mean, that they've had in the workplace, and I'm always shocked. When, um, when men just sort of don't really, even though it's this public, they, like they don't really kind of get what we're really what we're really talking about. You know what I mean? And, and realizing the idea, like, yo, when you go to work, ain't nobody trying to get at you. And like, if every day you go to work, it's like somebody like trying to get at you. Like, hey, you want to get a, you want to get a milk, you want to get a coffee, you want to get a, you want to get a this, you want to do that. Well, really, do you like this movie? Want to see this movie? Like, I don't think men grasp, like... And you know when I start grasping it, and I'll be honest, on this podcast, I don't want to come across the wrong way, that when, at work, women start doing that to me. And I was just like, wait, I didn't come here for you to tell me how my hair looked today. <laughs> right? Like, I didn't come here for you to tell me how my suit looked. Yeah. Like, because that is perceived. All right. Like, it's supposed to be like, you look really nice today. 
and I was not, and I still say thank you. I really appreciate it. But then I thought about it. If I was saying that to people every day, yeah, not good. That would be it. Would be way different, right? And and so I thought you look really nice. Your hair is really nice. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. And so I think men don't get it because a lot of men that do that don't get those compliments. Mm-hmm. And then two, again, they've been brought up in a space that the world has been framed for. This is my space. Unless someone tells me it's not. Yeah. Versus this is spaces where people come to add value to society however we see fit. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even just to, to, to add some definition to what you what you shared, you know, as a person who I can attest, you know, you're a sharp dresser. You know what I mean? And, and living in, I live in Portland where no one puts too much effort into trying to be sharp. I'm no, just going to say it. I'm going to put it on record, and y'all can be in your feelings if you want to. It could be you in the Pacific Northwest, man. I, I think people start being really utilitarian. I'll just be out. I, that's my perspective. I suppose. But sometimes, man, like, I really be like, yo, shout out to my man Sam. Like, yo, put on a prop- appropriate suit. Act like this meeting meant something different than the last one. Every once in a while. Don't go be all the time. Right. Right? So I can see where you could move through the world, especially as a man, and in the society where often men can just do show up however they show up. When you really show up, like, you actually put some thought into what you got on, people are like, whoa, they take notice, right? So it's really coming from a pure space, right? Right. So that, that part is cool, is when you, when you turn that around and realize that, you know, there's a lot of people that, that just giving compliments with, with, oh. no, with no healthy motive. You know what I'm saying? No, because, with the, with the because, they, because, because they have been, they have, we have received from society this idea that if you press a line, things will come from it. Mm. And sometimes things do. Mm. And, some, and, and, and willfully, in the best case scenario, it is totally, totally from both parties mm. something they want to be a part of. Yeah. But we also know through power relations, mm. stressors at work, sexism, patriarchy, toxic masculinity, there's a whole bunch of stuff people could feel like, oh, well, I don't really like him, but that's, that's my boss or that's my supervisor. Right. Or I had a situation at work where a young lady, where a, a young man who was thinking about coming to the administration, like the young lady who was working for the administration. And he had, he had shot his shot in different ways. And the young lady didn't respond. He actually started going to other people, asking them, like, what's up with your girl? Ooh. Going up to her friends, Ooh. calling her friends, asking them, asking her, asking them, what's up with your girl? Like, why didn't she like me? And so... What what's bad is not I'm gonna be frank about this, in government, you like laugh that stuff off. Because there's so much crazier stuff that happens in government as we see with like different elected officials. Mm-hmm. You almost laugh an, an offense like that and just charge that to the game. Even though you shouldn't. Yeah. But that is like the least of what women have to deal with. All right. In government. Yeah. You know, so Again, going back to relationships, a lot of people, you don't know how to build quality ones. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, not to go too deep into this, but the pursuit of power. Mm-hmm. 
leads people to make decisions or leads people to, to engage in behaviors and attitudes mm-hmm. that are totally, 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 totally damaging to building quality relationships. Yeah. And I think I would say, um, you know, there's things that I would have never heard or never learned if I didn't um, really learn how to sit with um, sit with women who I otherwise would have wanted to hopefully transition outside of this, you know, this, this whole concept where people be, I'm in the friend zone. You know what I'm saying? Friend zone, I'm going to tell you, to put this on tape. Friend zone is for suckers that don't express themselves. If you like somebody, tell them you like them from the start. Give them a chance to choose. They say no. Guess what? Party's over, Playboy. But see, it's the shy guy. It's, it's, it's the, it's the yeah. wrong way to look at the five heartbeats. Mm. So it's like, well, <laughs> especially in situations where the perception is, well, her man is like this. Like LL talked, LL talked about that stuff in songs for the last 20 years. Yeah. Like, so your man like this. Yeah. But I'm like this. Yeah. So I'm going to just lay low right here. while you recognize who I am. Yeah. So it gave credence to a behavior. Yes, that's why. But again, it also spoke about agency. If a woman sees she's in a bad situation, and if she sees a good situation, you should generally assume that she has the agency and the intelligence mm. to make the decision. Yeah, and it's not up to you. Right, to be you. bringing over General Souls tofu late at night because <laughs> I'm a plant based. I'm I'm with that plant based pedigree. Oh goodness! Right, I'm with that plant based base. <laughs> so yes, it's not to you to be bringing over wine and you know oyster mushrooms late at night, saying, "Hey, I know you didn't eat. I know you're going through some things. Yeah, I know you're going through some things. Some people call that soft shoe magging. Yeah." Some people call it struggle macking. Yeah, I call that conduct unbecoming. You struggle macking, man. Cut that out. Let that woman make a call. If you keeping it super funky, you don't have to earn her thing about being there because this other dude wasn't. You just should be who you are and let that woman be where she needs to be. Make her decisions. Again, you can rob people of agency mm. without clarity. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> you know, like, uh, yeah, that's, that's a divine culture move. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you, you gotta. And 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 again, this is the flip side of talking about Messiah, talking about Azani being a 20 year old, 21 year old young lady. That's the other part of it, because you really, you really frame it like, how do you want someone to talk to your child? Mm-hmm. And it ain't about being who I want that person to be. It's about being a person that allows the other person to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And to show up, to show up as themselves, and show up right, you know, unafraid, or show up where they they feel they, you know, always the. Um, and I said the thing I think you know maybe to bring close to a close on this topic is just that men often struggle with understanding what it means when the perception of your power affects the decision making of those who feel subject to your power, right. So whether you recognize you have this power or this influence, if someone believes that you have it and they have good reason to believe so, that they will make decisions that may not be healthy or in their own best mental and physical health to get through the situation where you may be sitting there thinking, 
I'm just, you know, I'm out here. I'm just, I'm just playing the game the way I'm playing it. Or I'm the man or whatever. And it's like, nah, you actually are, you know, you are violating. You know what I mean, you're undermining the integrity of what it is we say we about or what, we, what you're trying to do or who you say you are. Or, or, listen, or who you should be. And, you know, we have a term, you know, growing up with me and Justice, like, I don't blame you, I blame your old head. Because sometimes, going back to this title, ask your old head, you need to ask someone. You need to have some context for behavior. Mm. And you need to have someone that has some wisdom and experience and some success in interacting with people to have a rational conversation with them about behavior. Now, I don't want to go off into that whole other concept about how so many men, and not just black men or Latinx men or or white men or Asian men, just men across the board. So many men don't have people around men, specifically men, mm. that can impart wisdom that has multiple dimensions. Mm. And, and they go even deeper, the idea that your old head is three years older than you. Mm. That means you're 16 and your old head is 19. Yeah, that ain't... You're 19, your old head's 22. What did he only saw a couple things that you ain't seen? Yeah, so what's happening is there's no distance, but like I said, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother ball of wax, yeah, (laughs) an important ball of wax, yes, word. Thank you, thank you. So, you know, what's really important for you right now in your world? So, owing to my work. What's really important to me right now is how institutions conspire to help people. Generally speaking, in America, institutions haven't conspired to hurt black people. You can show a couple bright spots in that history otherwise, Mm -hmm. but generally, institutions have jammed up black people. Black people, brown people, you know, terminology that you choose to use, whatever ones that are relevant. And institutions have jammed up poor people across the board without going across race. <laughs> Even if poor white people didn't know, they were jammed up until a couple of years ago. <laughs> but I'll also say I think it's important to remember Ross Perot ran as an independent 24 years ago, <laughs> 26 years ago. And cut into Bush's yeah. people. And he didn't he didn't have to do the whole Mm-mm. racial piece. He just was like, Look, they're taking your money. Just populism. Yeah. All he did was populism. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't and we don't talk about the fact that literally twenty six years ago someone ran besides the racial broadsides and insanity as mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. A rich person from a state who didn't need no one's money mm-hmm. ran for president. 26 years ago. Yeah. So this whole populist thing didn't come from nowhere. Yeah. But we'll, we'll leave that alone. Yes. <laughs> so, but my point is, like, institutions have conspired to hurt people. Institutions should conspire to help people. Mm-hmm. So what's important to me is that people really think about what does it mean for institutions that could be your colleges, that could be your fraternities, sororities, mm-hmm. that could be your churches, 
that could be any institution. That could be the ones you vote for, mm-hmm. local, county, state, federal government. How do institutions help people? Because there are a lot of people who have given up or find themselves in, in situations where they can't even get their civic their civic cap civic capital. Mm-hmm. And who acts on behalf of those people? You know? This might be a time for another podcast too, but I also think about the user experience of how you wake up in the morning. I often thought about how I woke up in the morning as a kid. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff I seen in the morning mm-hmm. was all according to some stuff that came before me and was decided by people who I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But it defined my life. What time the train came, what route I walked, when the bus came, what houses had what people in them, what what stores were right by the train? Those are all institutional decisions, mm-hmm. and they all impact kids and, and adults every day. And from a tech perspective, it's your user experience, mm-hmm. and your user experience is everything. It yeah. depends on if you come back and use the thing again. Yeah, right. your assumptions and everything about how you think, and then even go it feeds to what you think was supposed to happen. So if you had a negative experience, then obviously this was the intended result. And it's, and it's going to make you make a decision about not being in that place. If if someone listens to your podcast on a system that does not give them easy toggle room, they may not use that no more. I ain't giving no particular way to get this <laughs> credibility because until they cut him a check, I ain't doing that. Yeah, <laughs> cut him a check. Yeah. But until they do... like. Doesn't matter what system, but if your system doesn't help you, I'll go use another system. Mm-hmm. If I if I go through a, a a particular portal and I don't like the interface, I use another one. Mm-hmm. Just think about people's user experience growing up in America. Right. You don't have all it's only what you going <laughs> Well you, you either go down the block to the left or you go around the other block back to the round to make three. a right to get back to the same you spot. You either make a left or three rights. <laughs> right. You ain't got no other And choices. think about how kids every day have to make a decision. Do you make a left or three rights, man? Because hmm. you know what? I'm not walking by this house. Yeah. But this yeah. house is this house because of the systemic stuff that impacted this family and you don't want to walk by these people's houses. Yeah. There's nothing more terrifying than that house with the dog. That the people don't ever take care of the dog. And you know, you could like, I still to this day, there's like, I hear the ching, ling, ling, ling. And I go, I start looking around like, man. Because it was houses where, do you hear the ding, ling, ling, ling? Someone, the dog is not on leash and he's coming at you. You don't know the dog coming out. You don't know the mug coming out. You don't know what, you don't, you don't know what's happening in front. But if a if a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old is going to get on the bus or uh, getting on a train, that is not what they need to see waking up in the morning. And and I've, I've become a really, uh, really strident about that now. Mm. Kids should not see stuff in the morning that they have to unpack with their friends by the time they get to school. Yeah. Besides the fact they shouldn't eat honey buns like I did <laughs> and ho-hos and drink <laughs> Arizona iced tea. Oh, you better man. cut him a check. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> I did say that. But yeah, like, that's cool. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that, but that's a whole other thing. But it's a user experience again. And that's where, why that matters to me is because the user experience around neighborhoods and cities frames who comes and who stays. Mm-hmm. 
And that matters. That matters who comes to our neighborhoods, who leaves our neighborhoods, and who feels like their their city belongs to them. So that, that leads me to a question, and I'm going to try to navigate this question in a way that gives you fair opportunity to answer it without. Um, yeah, so we're just going going to go for this. So we can say in this age that the concept of living in the city, right, has become has returned to being an in vogue concept. You know, I, mean? I would say when we were children, living in the city was a in our community was either if you depending on your circumstance or where you were aligned and what city you're from was uh-huh. either a look where was it where am I going to go right or well I can maybe live in this city or I can live in this city that's slightly different or this suburb that's adjacent to this city uh-huh. you know what I mean that might be well a fitting for me but people who maybe did not frequent the city in the 80s their children love the city in the, in here in the in the that in is the, a in very diplomatic that's a very diplomatic way to say that <laughs> they're very in the cities Right. They're very in the city because they grew up with an experience that was totally scrubbed. Mm. And then, so, but here's the racial and class implications of this conversation. Right. So, if you grow up in a city, the trains don't come on time, the buses don't work, you don't pick up trash, violence runs abound, the user experience sucks. Why do you assume that that person will return back to that place? You have given them no quality public goods, right? Give them no quality user interface or user experience. In turn, there's a population of people who lived in their own kind of scrubbed reality and not cool but not cool reality. Once they came of age... Because from their families who left and took their wealth out of the city to the suburbs, subsidized by the federal government. We should always remember that. Yeah. Federal government. Listen, people live in the suburbs. Listen, I've been to Just House. Like, I love it. The federal government subsidizes, subsidizes, and subsidizes wealth yeah. built outside cities, created huge highways. It made people rich. And black folks, by the time we figured it out, we was the last ones to figure it out. So we didn't get the money that everybody got anyway. Yeah. So even when we moved to the suburbs, okay. we never really got rich. Yeah, we never got You can have a quality of life, yeah. but you didn't make no money. Yeah, you didn't make a come up on that. Between the GI Bill and the federal government building highways, you created wealth where there was none. From a street perspective, from the ghetto perspective, it was the honey bun money run. Mm. And we didn't get nothing out of it. So I'll say that. So people had a scrubbed experience in a in an area where you created wealth. They go to colleges, and most quality colleges, generally speaking, are in cities. Mm-hmm. I mean, outside of Wellesley's and you know stuff in Massachusetts, for real, for outside of stuff in Massachusetts, and some of the most of the high high quality schools you think about mm-hmm. exist in cities. East Coast West doesn't matter. Right, mm-hmm. like, I mean, you could argue about Stanford, but Berkeley, UCLA, mm-hmm. right? Like, on the on the West Coast, not to knock nobody else's colleges, but think about Harvard, adjacent, mm-hmm. right? MITs, NYU's, 
right? Yeah. Penn, <laughs> like Dartmouth, all those are adjacent. Brown in Providence, yeah. all those are adjacent. Princeton in a kind of like an urban esque, urban ish area. Yeah. So you send people who built the wealth to to school, back to schools in the cities, mm-hmm. and they fall in love. Yeah. They don't want to leave. And they take their money and they bring the money with them. And then cities figure this out and say, oh man, well, we maybe should change neighborhoods. So then living in the city and being urban, where being urban was like, well, you're urban. Mm. Okay, you're black or brown. Or inner mm. city. You're spicy. Spicy. Super spicy. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out. So what my challenge is right now is and, and 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 I'm gonna say this too. Black people following this logic do the same thing as some white folks. Mm-hmm. They come back in the cities. They want to come to certain cities. They find themselves in Charlotte. Find themselves in Atlanta. Find themselves in D.C. Richmond. Mm-hmm. They want to experience the city in a certain a certain way. All right. So they 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 cluster. Living in the city cannot be divorced from the stuff that happened to those who were less fortunate. And that's, that, that's the crux of what I want to say about that, mm. is it cannot be divorced for what happened to people when you were not there. Mm. So you may not like the person who lives on your block. You may not like the corner store. The corner store exists because of stuff that your family got away from. Mm. And you can't erase it because you're willing to pay $1,500 a month. Right. Or two thousand dollars a month. Right. You don't stand in a position where it is appropriate for you to make uh judgments about the the reasoning as to why this exists because you weren't there. Especially when you there. benefit and then when you come back and it's low rent and then you benefit from being there. Oh yeah. And then they got tax and then whoever built your apartment got tax benefits the to build your apartment yeah. and tax abatements. They got a break. They can put it in there. Again, federal government, the hand that keeps on giving. So you so that 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 is the most the biggest thing about living in a city. Do not I it listen, it's rough. But do not look at the not look at the situation and think that you can talk about what it means for them people to be there without understanding the role of the federal government and the complicity of local, state, and federal governments in creating neighborhoods and then getting rid of people. As I would like to, as I like to say, it ain't just a local issue. The federal, listen, you wait long enough, the federal, you'll find the federal government's complicit yeah. in a lot of it. Yeah, man. that's crazy. So, you know, we have ran the the uh, the, the constructive g- gambit of our primary questions. I gave you the. The option. I know. Uh, yo, listen, listen, I just appreciate that you let me be on this long. Like, you know what I'm saying? Oh, uh, you know. You know what I mean? Look, man, you know. I go, I mean, yeah, I won't even get into it. It's, I go long if you let me. Listen, um, it's. <laughs> <laughs> Super spicy. Super spicy. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> let me ask you this. We can either we can pivot into a couple of things or we can start moving towards a close. Listen, let's uh, talk. I'm. That's uh I'm present. Related to 
the importance of going to cities is that as I would tell people if they ask me, you're a fine connoisseur of the black experience. Everywhere we go, um we you know, we go, you know, and not not on a ruined porn. Um actually, this might be a good point. Can you can you can you give folks a, a definition of ruined porn? So ruined porn is when people want to talk about situations that they don't want to solve. They like looking at problems and they like experiencing what comes from situations that they don't want to solve. You like you like music, you like food, you like culture from places that those were indicative of responses to struggle. Responses again to complicity of a variety of institutions impacting people negatively. And then you want to go and go there. It's one of my main issues with the idea of trap girls love yoga or trap girls like this or pretty girls like trap music. Yeah. Dog, that's trap music for people who have been so isolated. They had to stand in an abandoned house and wait for people who are addicts to find scrounge or steal money to bring them money for drugs. Right. And give them that, and then what do they listen to? What's the culture that comes out of that? And when you say pretty girls like trap music, what are you, there's some class and, and intra-racial stuff yeah. that you got to pull out of that yeah, one. That needs to be uh, unpacked, deconstructed. That is, or trap, they said trap yoga. Mm. What trap got to do with yoga? Right. I know what the trap is. Yeah. I don't know what yoga is. Yeah. And they're not really connected. I don't know how that. I don't even know how that works. But ruined porn is about when people love to talk about these situations that they have no interest in in changing. So I have learned that people love to talk. There's a lot of people who make money off of ruined porn. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of government agencies, a lot of nonprofit agencies, a lot of people in the neighborhoods that make money off of ruined porn. When people right there. Their, their um their grants. They talk about how this neighborhood is the most disconnected neighborhood, and forty percent of people can't read, fifty percent uh, unemployment. I thought something speaking to that at the Policy Link Summit. What's the brother? The brother from Be Me, and and the challenge the issue, you know, the people in the room was, you know, speak to your clients and the people you work with in the language that you be writing about them and them grants. You know what I mean? Which we would not do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, talk to that man like you talking to him. Talk to him in a deficit model. Yeah. Tell him he ain't shit. Tell him that without you say without you doing this program, yeah. there's no way they'll survive. <laughs> no way you're going to make it. There's no way you're going to make it. I'm your only hope. Right. You tell him that. Yeah. We'll never do that. Do that never- is true. We'll never do it because the thing is, and, and this is the unpopular thing I'm about to say. Okay. I've only said this like two or three times. That's it. We do got to check how we created this infrastructure of supplementing things that families should do. Mm. We, we, like, and we've created build a billion dollar industry mm. off of being like, hey, Junior. Hey, little Washeen, what you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> hey, man, I'm going to spend two hours with you. What? 
the best indicator, all research says, the best indicator of anybody going to college is if someone in your family went to college. Yeah. It ain't the, the public school, the charter school, the yeah. private school. Yeah. Somebody else in your family. Someone in, in your, your family went there to set up the play for you to go. Yeah. There's always a first person that went to college. Fine. But that's not the reason that varying generations go to college. Yeah. And just so it doesn't get lost, the most the indicator that you will complete college is not around rigor and challenge. It's around do you have the funding to get to the end. All that, ooh, the, ooh it's so challenging. We got to get the talent. You know, well, I won't go over my... Uh, and we go classes issues with people's concept of talent, but basically, if we fund people and make sure they have the resources they need so they can stay in the fight and finish the work, they will finish. And we ain't gonna say nothing about the fact that, besides the fact that if you if you decide to join a fraternity or sorority that gives you the backing to mm-hmm. think about that, that's how people. If you go to college and ain't nobody around you saying that, you ain't on. You're lost. Yeah. So, like in Pittsburgh, when they did the Pittsburgh Promise, I said to them, "Listen, this everything you do getting to getting these folks to college is dope. But if you know how you send a young black man or young black female from Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, or Harrisburg to a state college in Pennsylvania, that's not Westchester, Cheney. Mm-hmm. When they go up there." And the first time someone say something crazy to them, and they don't have no they don't have no connections or relationships. Nobody covering them, putting their arms around them. To your point, mm. they got the money, they got the relationships to really get through. Can they call somebody for more ramen noodles? Mm. That's what you're talking about. So when people say, "Well, people ain't graduating after they got the money from the Pittsburgh Promise," well, of course they're not. There's no connection. There's no relationships. Right. So to 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 the promises credit. They started creating mentors because people figured it wasn't about that you got them there. It wasn't even about that you had to last in money. It was about that young person had never been to the middle of Pennsylvania. And so when they got to the middle of Pennsylvania and they was broke one night, mm-hmm. they made bad decisions. Yes, sir. And they were, they were isolated. They were isolated. And, that, they, and the assumption that you would... You would have access to the resources to, in, in, in terms of the social resources and the social capital, people that you can tag, people you can reach out to, people you feel comfortable, you feel safe to express and, and, and be like, yo, I'm, I have no food, I'm cold, my coat is not sufficient, it's just snowed six inches, and I'm in the middle of a valley in the state that I didn't realize was as big as it is. Again, the biggest indicator if you're going to go is if someone else went. Do they understand what to give you, how to take care of you? They never been there. They don't understand. Yeah, yeah. It ain't that other stuff we talk about. All right. Do you think? Um, and 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 I and I brought up ruin porn because I feel like there's a conflict, you know, in the the the. the the, the the concept of uh, respectability politics and and I feel like there's something there's a relationship between these two issues to me and um and and, and I have a personal challenge with respectability politics because I feel like I hear people use it in a whole lot of different ways 
that I'm not 100% sure what we're talking about, right? So there's, there's that. And then I feel like there's a relationship between um, where people sit in the concept of ruin born. Because like I said, from people who do not have that experience ruin, identifying or speaking to ruin feels like some almost like an authentication, Right, they go like, yeah, man, you know, you know how we do it. We, we, uh, we put the cool. We in the hood, or they listen to music and the song come on, or something crazy come on. They like, they bite dancing and turned up. But you're not going back to that, yeah. right? You're not going back to that when it happens. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't define black people. Mm-hmm. Black people have had a lot of different definitions. It yes, ain't sir. all urban, and right. ain't all poor. Yes, sir. So we don't have to define ourselves explicitly by that. Mm-hmm. That being said, especially in this day and time with our music, a lot of times people do. And the thing is, when that song come on and it's super lit, but then the respectability politics come in and say, you ratchet. Mm. Mm. That person's ghetto. That person's ratchet. Yeah, He hood. Right? He too hood. Mm. So what? Which, what which ones do we like? Do we like when the rappers say this stuff? Do we like when he say, you know what I'm saying, I got my gun on me, what you want to do? Or do we or do we don't like it when someone say he too hood? What do you want somebody to be? Right. You want to be respectable? Or you want to be hood? And that, I mean, in the respectability politics goes back to NAACP and the Urban League. I think we built about this. The whole thing that the Urban League in particular, NAACP too, the whole thing, when they would show up, when everybody got off the trains with chicken and shoes mm. and instructions on how to act. Yeah, yeah, when you first coming north. Yeah, when you got north, they gave you some fried chicken and a biscuit. Because we still love three wings and a biscuit. Yeah. To this day. Three wings and biscuits. Three wings and a biscuit is good. Eat chicken. Listen, if you, get, you got three chicken, you got three seitan tenders and a <laughs> vegan biscuit. Please bring it over. Bring that, <laughs> bring that through for my man. Bring, you can bring me the regular one. No, he'll take he'll take I'm the wings. I need them three satan joints. Yeah, you know I mean, bring them things through for me. Yes, I sir. got you. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, and, and then there's delicious. a you know, and there's a you know, because as I feel like almost there's a um, and I wonder, and this I think this is almost to me circles back to integrity. Is there something to the idea like if I was straight up with you? Right when you coming off the train and say, "Look, there's stuff that you don't know about subsisting in this space." As your brother, as your sister, as you coming off this train, I'm gonna let you know what we know or how we try to get by, how we try to make it given the, the constraints of the circumstance we in. I'm gonna try to be straight up front with you. That's why we we gonna tell you this stuff, as opposed to I'm just gonna give you the chicken and biscuits. I'm gonna start telling you some stuff, and I ain't gonna give you no context, right? Is there something there where we can make sure that we don't we, we prepare someone so they don't have to suffer an indignity, right? That they don't have to for their own good versus them creating an indignity for me, right? I think that's to me that's the the challenge I see. In that's there. authenticity, man. Because because I'm gonna be real, we got to stop this drive to the bottom, and a lot of lot of nonprofit groups do this too. I ain't I ain't. Bombing on nonprofits tonight. But Muggs Black, we got to get somebody went to jail mm-hmm. to talk to people that went to jail. Yeah. At some juncture, I just got to be able to tell you authentically you shouldn't go to jail. And if I can't enumerate all the reasons you shouldn't go to jail, 
I don't know what I'm going to tell you because I just told you all the reasons you should go to jail. I can't, and especially now to my point about this whole your old head is three years older than you. Mm. By the time you get a dude that's 10, 15 years older than you and he just came back from jail, you don't believe him anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's 30, you're 15. Y'all gangs ain't the same. Y'all don't call him the same things. You're, he's broke. Mm. You're, you have money. In, in 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 a lot of towns in the city, mugs be like, "Oh, he came home. He's broke, right? Who? He, what he know? What do we? What do I care about listening to him? He fa- he failed. <laughs> Not only did he go to jail, yeah, he went to jail and didn't come home with no money. Yeah. So explain to me while I'm listening to you, you was the most gangster dude in the world. But again, my old head is three years older than me. Yeah. I'm 15. My my old head 18. My he my oh he got the pack. I'm not listening to them. So to your point about this thing of, of what do we tell people, we got to get past this thing that the only way you can tell somebody something is if you did it. Mm. That's a trap. Yeah. I feel you. The only way we say, who, who can talk to somebody that been to jail? Ooh, somebody who went to jail. Well, how long did they go to jail? One year, two years? No, we need 15 years. They don't care about them. Right, that's the secret. Yeah, and then, and I, and I think to me the you know and I, and I deal in the space when we talked about you know people with lived experience. Um, but but the 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 other thing is like it's not just that you have lived experience; it's that you also have some understanding and something, some some development that you've done that you can turn what you've experienced into something that you can teach and then you also have some understanding in terms of trust and and integrity about who you are and how you operate that the other people that the people that we serve can feel and i want to say i honor lived experience but i think we've created this model in 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 black communities and in, in, in latinx communities of the only person that can speak to dudes that's in the street is other guys used to be in the street Right, right, but the world has changed since they was a lot of times in the street. Yeah, and, and it goes to me. I always think about well, well you know, you know, and what, and what we and what way we, we walk and we talk. Truth is the truth, regardless who tell you. If your if your ten year old nephew tell you, yo, you should stop going to jail. He was right. Whether you listen to him or not, whether you understood his motivation or not, he was right. He told the truth. You may not have bear witness to it. You may have thought. Man, he a kid. What he talk? He don't know what he talk about. Truth is the truth. If he got, a, if someone has explained to you that at some point you're gonna be somewhere and take a shower, and the idea that you took a shower by yourself will be over, there will be someone else in there taking a shower, and you got to wear Tim's, right? And you because you, because you don't want to put your feet in any way on the what's the name that you got to fight and wear underwear when you take a shower. All I would need to ever hear is that. Mm. Yes, sir. Right, and it's a to me it's a, a, a very dangerous seed that um, the assumption that people who may not have lived your particular experience, um, and and I and I can I can empathize with the reality that you may not experience many people who care about what's happened to you, right? Um, I mean, being in, in this type of work as a direct service provider for a long time, and I tell these people every time I get a chance. A lot of the young people that I've worked with have either been victims, right, or someone in their family has been hurt, and nobody cared. 
Right? Nobody said nothing to them. Nobody came to look for them when their family member was hurt. Whether their family member was right or wrong, they were hurt when they lost their family member and nobody said nothing. Right. And so then later you circle back and you tell that that young person, basically, you being hurt doesn't matter, but we are concerned about who you may hurt, which is sort of like, man, I don't care about none of y'all. But you go back to my <laughs> systems thing. Systems have conspired to not do the thing that was actually the healthiest for that young person. Mm. You got hurt. Nobody came back. But now we care because you can hurt somebody else. Right. We want. <laughs> we don't care about. Again, we don't really care about you. We care about what you might do. We we don't care the fact that you dealt with a pain. That again, from like the PTSD, the black experience, or any poor experience, not just ours. Mm. Like when you get comfortable when somebody dies, and the first thing we do is just put a T-shirt on. Right? Or the first thing we do is go buy bottles of Henny. Like, I, I respect all the things when everybody put the shrines out and everything and the bunny rabbits and the, yeah. the bottles of Hennessy. But all that meant is that we drowned our pain in multiple bottles of alcohol. Yeah. Which I have never found to actually solve the situation. Yeah. Because I woke up the next day with pain and I still had pain. Yeah. You still? Right? Still and so... You allow the young end to do that because that's the internal cultural context. And again, who's who's the OG saying, "Come on, man, come on, let's go take a walk." You know, let's go talk to let's go talk to my man. You can get this stuff out. Yeah, uh, where's the where's the link? We gotta build that linkage where you go in a natural way. Yeah, because there ain't gotta be somebody just sitting at the thing with a with a tight shirt on that don't fit, saying, "Hey, brother, you want to talk about this?" <laughs> Is somebody in your family, someone on your set, that when you ready to go get the strap and go get busy, they can say, listen, man, talk to me. Come here. And I talk to my man. I trust him. I vouch for him. He may not be from your experience. He may not be super, you know what I'm saying, super lit. Mm -hmm. He's a good guy or that's a good woman. Mm -hmm. And let that person talk. That's you and them again. When when institutions don't work for us, we have to create institutions for ourselves yeah. that act in our benefit. That's it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. So that yeah. All right. Man, that's a that's a heavy gray matter right there. So I'm going to transition this because we had about an hour. It's probably a good time to start moving good, towards a close. Um, hmm. Can you give us? I mean, I mean, not, I mean, not even going to roll into that. I'm talking about our friend from Canada, and and I don't know where. I guess he's from Virginia. Who? Push D. Yeah, the Drake situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're gonna leave it alone. Unless you got something, something salient that you feel that needs to be said about about Canada. the Push D and Drake situation. Yeah. So there's so much laden mm. and so much latent in that situation. One, the idea that a person does not have to write their own rhymes in hip-hop. Now, given that some of the first hip-hop stuff started with someone not writing their own rhymes. Big, big, you know, Casanova. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Grandmaster Kaz and Big Bang Hank. So we know it started from the very beginning of Mugs not writing their own rhymes. Yes, sir. But the idea that you could be really famous and we know and we heard the reference tracks to 
Drake, and then we just act like it didn't happen. Yeah. And then the excuses people give while he's famous. That is not an excuse for the reason he doesn't write his raps. And you have em- you've empowered this guy to act like this is okay. Then number two, and here's what thing was laden with, with Meek. Not just because I'm from Philly, but it's real. Meek said, you don't write your rhymes. He responded, was you on your girl's store. Okay. Mm. You... He told you you didn't write your raps. He told you on your girls tour, but the whole time we in the we in situation we'd be like respect women for being doing a thing and yeah, handling yeah. business. But you told him he was on the girls tour, right? And that well somehow that went right over a lot of people. They just said, "Oh, we still love Drake, right? We still love Drake." So y'all y'all love this guy for being super sensitive. But that was his whole premise. Mm. You on you you on your girls tour? Yeah, that's tough. Right, a, a guy that regardless got street credibility, but y'all don't. That doesn't matter. So that's when I knew hip hop didn't matter. It was a circus. Well, I've been to a circus. Yeah, but yeah. See, now push. You argue with what he say, how he said. He sent a shot at homie for the very same reason. You don't write your raps. We're we're honoring. Your artistic stuff. Now listen, I listen to Drake stuff, especially when it's R and B music. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. Yeah, I like the R and B songs. But Push said it. Then Drake came out, and his answer to Push, Pusha T, was essentially, "You didn't sell as many drugs as you said you did, and the guy that produces your songs got more problems than you." Okay. <laughs> And then you mentioned this man's fiance, which, yeah. as the internet say, don't never mention a dude is forty years old and got box braids. You should never mention his name anyway. You shouldn't. Even, you shouldn't even argue with no dude that's forty years old got box braids. Because <laughs> obviously he doesn't care what none of y'all think. Indeed, indeed. He's and he's from Virginia. You. you shouldn't care what none of them yeah. guys. Them guys is different guys. You shouldn't care. You shouldn't mess with him. Yeah. So then he in t- he in turn came out. And did a full hip hop move. Yeah. And like we talked about today, he went full Yala Von Zion on him. You were hiding a child. <laughs> now, for those men who respect fatherhood, because I don't know if he was in a relationship with the young lady in question, that's not my business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a child that you were going to put on a press run. You know what I mean? There was misogyny all throughout this, so I ain't, I ain't getting into that. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. But what it did was it framed the situation at Drake. And then with the whole blackface, like Pusha T said, when did you get involved with black issues, Drake? So in 2007, you was protesting black people having roles. But ever since you got famous, you never said Black Lives Matter. You never helped criminal justice reform. You ain't never did what Hove has done. Well, he's from Canada. Well, then you got to make a decision. <laughs> if you're from Canada, you can't do blackface. Yes, sir. You know, he's like, I don't know what's going on in America. What's going on over there? Yeah. I'm from the six. Yeah. Well, then leave blackface alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And so I so what I all I say about it is again, no matter a lot a lot of people feel some sort of way about where push it went on it, but it go back to street rules. That's your child. You acknowledge it when it happened, no matter what the relationship is. We're working on it. Yeah. I'm paying for it. Yeah. Whatever it is, I'm taking care of my job. Yeah. It's your child. You That's your job. Up. You need to show up. Straight up. I not your superwoman's carrying weight. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say, bro. <laughs> Word up. So I wanna leave um close this out on some strengths, man. What's something um can you just give me something that you feel very uh feels very um empowering or aligning as is going on in you know, either a good word, good book, good something you heard recently, whatever. I'm gonna say given my role in government and politics, I think the amount of progressive black mayors that have been out recently are really important, from Vilaos in Charlotte to the sister in New Orleans to Ras Baraka to um the brother Randall Woodfin in, in Birmingham, um to the brother uh Antar Lumumba in in Jackson, Mississippi. I think that is a really interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Like black mayors that are progressive. Not just black mayors for the sake of being black, but mm-hmm. black mayors who are progressive have a progressive interest and have to and have to balance out the role of doing for people in a strong government with the role of how capital flows in to benefit people's lives. Right. I think that's a great trend and it's not just a male trend or fee, it's a black trend of progressive folks getting elected especially as executives in cities all right all right i think and um i, I thank you for sharing that because i think um especially in the, the light of our current kind of political tone it's easy to to cater to despair and not look to you know where are folks trying to approach this and um and maybe making strides in different ways so tip o'neill famously said all politics are local, right? And then for a minute, people thought all politics were national, and then now we're back to all politics are local. Because the reality of it is, whatever's going on nationally, and this ain't just with the president, per se, that's a mess. And most of our state governments are also a mess because of the balance between urban and rural, mm-hmm. right? So whether it's Portland, right, whether it's whether it's Pittsburgh and Philadelphia versus the rest of the state of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. whether it's what's going on in the state of New York, Illinois, doesn't matter. The urban-rural divide mm-hmm. that now has broken into a party divide has rendered most state governments impotent. So now, where things good things are going to happen is going to be on a a local and county level. And we got local and county things that are happening that are really good. But you got to find them places. Yes, sir. All right. Well, I ain't going to hold us too much longer. I Can I listen. just say this? Yes, sir. I am. Listen, man. I said I started for it. My son said we're all good speakers. <laughs> <laughs> like, this podcast is an honor to be on because, you know, to use the the, the street kind of terms like you got this podcast out the mud mm-hmm. and you be talking to a lot of different people and have a lot of different impact 
And I just want to say to all sponsors who are listening, like, you know, y'all got to really get that money up because the price is going to go up soon. You know, man, you know what I'm saying? As your old head is serious because no one's talking about the role of these principles and values, no matter what we, I don't care if we're talking about coffee, we're talking about urbanism, okay, what we're talking about. Like, this is the one that's doing it. So it's an honor as your brother to be able to be on your podcast. Well, thank you. you know what I'm saying? And, and be able to talk to people that listen to you just off the break. So I just want to say thank you. All right. Well, I appreciate you. Thank and, you. And, uh, you know, sponsors. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm open to discussion. So, Sponsor, come me. on. Don't be late. I'll add me. I'm be, looking for alternative capital models. <laughs> be early. You know don't mean? be late. Yes, I don't know if it's, I ain't going to say their names, but y'all know who I'm talking about. The people that sponsor the mother thing. Come on, y'all. <laughs> Giving y'all no extra credibility. Yeah, we out here. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, um, well, I ain't gonna hold you, Almighty. We 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 gonna continue the rest of our travels uh, this this uh, this weekend um, and in the future as well. I thank you. Thank you. I mean, hey, and listen, I'm gonna give a shameless plug just because uh, Chef sitting there. Yeah. Ten minutes of knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> it's fully lit. Yes, sir. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Well, you might hear me on there soon. <laughs> yeah, listen. You might. You, you you never know. Great things could happen. Yeah, anything. <laughs> <laughs> With that, I'm going to say peace. Peace to the God. Thank you for joining me. Thank y'all. Peace. Thank y'all for listening. And uh, and keep listening and tell, and tell your people and tell your family and friends about Ask Your Old Head. Peace. That's right. Share, rate, subscribe, all that. You know, use the internet. This has been the Ask Your Old Head podcast with Justice Raji. Thank you for listening. Peace. Peace. This has been the Ask Your Old Head podcast with Justice Raji. Thank you again to my guest, I'm Majestic. Thank you to my nephew. Uh, thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Please share. Um, if you listen on iTunes, rate, subscribe. Uh, if you listen on other any of the other means by which you can connect with the podcast, please use the requisite similar button and uh, share it with your friends and tune in. I'm hoping to bring you many more episodes, including some new wrinkles to what I'm doing creatively uh, coming through this summer. So thank you for listening. Um, you can find me on Twitter at just J-U-S-T underscore IFE, I-F-E, so that's J-U-S-T underscore I-F-E. You can also search for the Ask Your Whole Head podcast uh, community page on Facebook and uh, you know, generally we're available on all other formats. So I hope you're connecting and enjoying. Um, if you'd like to be involved with the show or work with me, feel free to reach out to me through any of those mediums and we'll see what we can do. Um, in all things, I appreciate you for listening and uh, live, learn, teach. <laughs>